Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zerman. Take two, I am going to be in my head for the rest of this episode because I have, we're in a studio, Kevin, where they do the radio stuff and there's this thingamajigger in front of me that shows <laughs> levels going up and down of sound and it's a good way to judge really like how loud or how not loud you are. For example, I'm going to turn myself down a little bit right now because I look to my right and see that I'm a little bit too loud. The levels in front of me for my mic were not going up and down. It is really in my head right now and is giving me anxiety of like, you're not being recorded right now. But then I look to my right and we sound checked the last recording that we did for a minute before I realized this and everyone can hear me. So hopefully this recording goes through and everyone can hear me. Is Oh yeah. Mine look way different. That okay. Yours are normal. Mine are mine Just are don't off, look though. at that board. Look at the computer. You'll okay. Be fine. Yeah, you're quiet too. I'm going to turn you up now. Okay. So that's why the audio is just kind of weird. Talk one more time. Hello, hello. Okay, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> this is the stuff that we handle with this little thing of a jigger in front of me before, but I can't do it. I have to do it live now on the fly. It's like if is... you put us in like an airplane cockpit and we're just do stuff with it and we'd be like, I don't know, dude. If you've ever wondered why you listen to podcasts and there's a producer and you're like, why is there a producer? What you're hearing us go through right now is why podcasts have producers most of the time. Kevin, how are you? I'm good. How are you? We're excited for Thanksgiving. We are indeed. Uh, we took a week off. You had a wedding in Tucson that you had some fun with. And, you know, it, it had been a couple of games and we, we took the week off. But we're back. And boy, have things changed since we last podcast. I think we were looking at a 7-3 and three team that was on a six-game winning streak. And our main takeaway was they're winning games right now. We're sure. We are sure how they are doing it. But we're not so sure how much it's going to hold up, how long it's going to go on for and such. They have won seven games since then. They are now 14-3 and three on a 13-game winning streak. And I think the main takeaway from that end is that they're just this is the continuity boost that we talked about so much going into the season. This is where it's paying off because they are playing much better basketball right now than they were two weeks ago. But I still don't think it's quite spinning at 100%. It's at like... I don't know, like 70, 75 compared to last year, would you say? 80? Yeah. I mean, in spurts, it's pushing 90, I would say. And then in other spurts, it's at 75. And look, I don't know if you necessarily care that much if you're the Suns. Um, they're, I mean, last night we're coming off the Spurs win. Obviously, they had a couple of moments that were a little tense late in that game after they had built a lead multiple times. That was a solid double digit lead. So I, I just think this team is already at that spot where they're battling. We know we're better than other teams. Um, we know how to close games and execute when it counts. I mean, I think last night was a great example day. I think it was a five-point game suddenly um, after a couple of just, you know, you're, you're making mistakes, trying to burn clock. Monty calls timeout. They come out of it, and boom, they're back up by 9, 10, 11, and the Spurs made another run, but it was too late, not enough time at that point. So I, I just think they're battling human nature from here on out. And we'll get into it later, but I think that's why it's interesting. It's like, okay, as we go through this long season, at what points are there little moments where we see something that's new? At what points do they want to pull out new things? At what point do they want to start tinkering and experimenting with things? Maybe just so they can get a sense of, okay, can we use this lineup against big teams or small teams in the postseason? So I think we're already at that point where this team has earned the right to say, okay, we can start looking toward little improvements we can make for the future. Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit, just what we're seeing in terms of what has improved so far and what, I don't want to say hasn't, but isn't quite where we expected it to be. And we're recording this Tuesday afternoon after the Spurs win, which is a great one for us to talk about on that subject, because the main thing I wrote about was that DeAndre Ayton was incredible, the bench was really good, and those are two things that hadn't quite come together 
from last season in terms of just like DeAndre Ayton wasn't incredible all last year, but he had those like stretches in games where they would win that game because he was their best player and he was their best player last night. And it really helped them. We'll get into that in a minute. You know, when you realize you are having an opinion or a stance on something that you realize you are being biased about because of the position that you're in currently, the way things are trending. You know what I'm saying? Like you kind of zoom out and realize like, oh, I'm taking it this way. Yeah. The example that I'm going to get to is that the Suns starting on November 2nd, that win over New Orleans that put them at 3-3, three and three, that began a stretch of 15 games in 26 days. And this schedule compressed last year. What would come up at times, we'd hear players be like, I like playing every other day because I can just keep a rhythm. But then like the other, like I'm talking about like the bias and like where you get in. But like if you're feeling sore, you're like, oh my God, like we just need like a day off here. But if you're winning and you're not feeling as sore or the winning upends the soreness, whatever. The The ratios. (laughs) The scales tip in a certain favor, whatever it is. Right now it's just, hey, they've been able to clearly find a rhythm by playing every other day, which this 15 games in 26 days, they do not have a two-day break anywhere in here between games. That concludes... That stretch concludes on November 27th later this week in Brooklyn. Then they'll get two days off and then they'll play the Golden State Warriors right after that at home. And then they have a back-to-back where the second game of that back-to-back is going from Phoenix to Golden State in Golden State. So the, the schedule does get more difficult like we talked about. But with that in mind, the schedule has gotten a bit tougher here and it just hasn't really seemed to affect them all that much because I think that playing every other day has really, really helped them. I honestly believe that if they were in a schedule where there were more patches right now of like two days off, three days off, things like that, I don't know if they would be 14 and three right now. I think they would be more like, I don't know, like 10 and seven. They even had like what? It was two or three days off where Monty was like, I had a hard practice today, like a full whatever, two hours, whatever their max is. And you could see it the next game where it's like, oh yeah, they, they kind of just grinded themselves out of kind of a funk when it was earlier in the year but yeah i mean i'd be curious to see what their training staff says about like games versus practices because right now they look fresh um and the days off the days they're not playing basketball i'm sure they're not doing a whole lot but they certainly have found just this rhythm so yeah, I mean, this team, we, we talked about it all through the playoff run, I think. They were really just in the moment of living basketball all the time. And right now, again, that's that's a little tougher when it is spaced out. So during that stretch of basketball that we were seeing, I'm still looking at the computer, it's still freaking me out. During that stretch of basketball, when we last talked, DeAndre Eaton was out. That's when Frank Kaminsky was playing, and he was playing very well. Uh, we only missed one. We only missed two games that he was still in the rotation for. That was eight points against Memphis in 27 minutes. Houston, he plays 23 minutes, gets six points, and then against Minnesota on the back-to-back, he plays four minutes. Uh, he sits out with right knee. Um, I can't remember what exactly they stress I think it reaction. Was just, well, it was originally listed as I believe right knee soreness. Yeah. I believe is what it was yeah. called, and then it later comes out that he has a stress reaction, which is code for stress fracture, which is code for breaking something in your leg, which is not good. Um, man, this it's hard not to look at this because Frank in the Portland game was like, "Yeah, obviously I haven't played these kinds of minutes yeah. in a really long time." And it's not hard to look back on when Aaron Baines had to play a lot early in the season and then just wasn't the same guy again. And it's hard not to think of that here. Uh, Kevin, just your initial reaction to him being out indefinitely is the word that we've gotten. So, to me when you rule him out indefinitely instead of the end of the season, that means that there's hope for him to return in the season, but you also haven't given like an eight to 12 week timeline or anything like that. So I think that my initial read, which again is purely my opinion, no reporting here that it's, they're not ready to rule him out for the rest of the year, but he could be out the rest of the year. That's how I react to it at least. And again, we, we hear contusions when, when Chris Paul was playing through whatever he was playing through. Kawhi Leonard was never ruled out of that Clipper series when we all knew he was never playing. And then certain people would be like, when's Kawhi coming back? And be like, well, what? he's not coming back. <laughs> and it turned out he had a torn, it was ACL, torn ACL. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, of course he wasn't coming back. Um, so just your initial reaction to the Frank news. Yeah, that's tough because just 
he's had that similar injury where it's a knee situation and they just want to put him on ice and you from as little as I know that type of stuff is not like you have surgery or you do rehab like you just rest it and so I imagine he's going to be on the shelf for quite a long time and the good news is that the season is longer um they're trying to get back on the regular schedule obviously so you know if to me it's more about if the playoff hits and you get hit by another injury um in the front court then he might come to save the day again and that's always something you got to keep in the back of your mind so i think there is some optimism and it might not even be that long but there's some optimism that he'll be able to come back to me um if he just rests for a long time but it's not going to be anytime soon i don't think and i think they'll be fine for the time being javel mcgee has calmed down about what we talked about he still took a couple like weird bank shots last night after he missed one or two um but he's finding his place more and with da back i think just the timing and the rhythm of coming off the bench and after spending all that time with the stars with da out i think he's in a better spot so um yeah i mean i guess the the only good news really is monty williams doesn't have to like decide because we were talking last podcast like do you do javel do you do frank do you do both how do you do that with da coming back yeah, well, he he was doing Javel uh, in that Minnesota game at least, yeah. but but who knows if Frank got? Uh, I would assume Frank got hurt in that Minnesota game. We don't even know when it happened. It wasn't clear when it happened. Anything like that? Do you think the Suns have an open roster spot? Do you think they need to sign a big right now? I'd I they honestly... only have Jalen Smith behind. That's it because they've got Dario and Frank. If you're asking where are the other bigs, two of them are out. I think if you have two rim protecting centers, you're fine. Okay, and Jalen's to me a third, so I think they're fine. And even if one or two of those guys gets hurt, then you go small, and then you have to worry about it. But I think two guys would have to get hurt for me to be like, "All right, we need to do something pretty drastic here." Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think they absolutely need to, but this is coming from my take on these kinds of things, which is always it is impossible for us to have a definitive stance here because they might have that open roster spot for something specific they have, that what, they're another, looking toward. Another two-way, so if you need an emergency guy for a couple weeks uh, they or don't. something. Ish, Ish, Ish has oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot about him. I'm sorry. How could you forget about him, man? <sighs> Unacceptable. Well, they could... Yeah. Great guy, by the way. Yeah. Always says hi to us every day. Nice fellow. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think they need to sign one right now, but I also think that having the ro- open roster spot, you might as well, but from their perspective, they have that open roster spot for a reason. It's sitting there for a reason, and I think it's quite obvious that they're going to be looking towards the buyout market for something. But again, you could sign someone right now to just a t- uh, not a 10-day, but just sign someone right now and then, yeah. and then get rid of them once the buyout guy comes, if the buyout guy's there. I think you need two injuries, though. I mean, I, yeah. I think they're fun. They are fine indeed, Kevin. They are 14-3 and three right now. I guess for you, so where I took this podcast last time, I ran through a bunch of numbers on cleaning the glass, and where I started was they were ninth in offense and 13th in defense. They are now 7th in offense and 3rd in defense. I, I think that their defense has fully hit its stride. I think that that number has been padded a bit by playing a bunch of really bad teams and a bunch of teams that are okay missing their key guys. I'm not going to ignore that part of the conversation entirely, but with that in mind, I still think that their defense has clearly gotten to a point where it knows how to hit its full gear, and when it wants to hit its full gear, it can. Now, how consistent is that full gear? It's it's it comes and goes. Like I mean, last night you're on the second game of back to back. You just flew to San Antonio. You give up 67 in the second half. That team was San Antonio was working really hard the entire game. It happens, but you just see. I can't remember who tweeted it, but it's like you you see really evident signs. It's like okay, guys aren't closing out on shooters. It's it's just very evident. Mikel had when two late runouts where he it's just like there were four guys back, but he just got behind all four guys when they could have just taken two like oh panic like strides backwards, and yeah. it's just like oh they wore them down. Yeah. So uh, I think that the defense has been really great, but it still has like a consistency point. It's still not quite there yet, and that comes through for the entire team is there a player that sticks out to you in particular and over this stretch because Mikel's scoring has dropped off a bit but I think his defense has been 
from a year-to-year perspective, I think his defense, this is the biggest jump we've seen. He went yeah. from, I think he should have been all defense last year, to he should be first-team all defense this year without a doubt in my mind. And if he keeps this up to this level, like put him in the defensive player of the year conversation, at least on the back end. In the same way Chris Paul was on the back end of the MVP, we're like, he's not going to win MVP. But mm-hmm. at least bring up Mikel in the conversation. I think that that's the defense that he's playing right now. And if it continues for the whole year, he's got to be there. I, I last year was like, Mikel's really good at defense, but he struggles against bigger wings. Paul George's that type. He was always pretty good on like dames and smaller guards. Um, I mean, we watched him play Dallas, and it wasn't like he was guarding Kristaps Porzingis every play, but down the stretch, I think this is the second game, where he got those two hands on the ball, like went, I know Porzingis is skinny, but he's playing center. He's an NBA center. And Mikel goes through him and with the long arms gets hands on balls, causes turnovers, stuff like that where and and like guarding LeBron, I don't think he could have done that in the past certainly not two years ago. So I think just from a physical standpoint, he looks different this year. And that's just changed what he can do and he can still he's still guarding like on ball point guards a lot of the time. Uh DeJounte Murray the other night so yeah I'm with you I think I don't remember the voting last year but he definitely should be like on one of the all defensive he was 11 he he missed it by one spot basically like if if he's left off then something's wrong um and I think Chris Paul said that right like there's just no way that guy should be left off those teams again there ain't no way Kev there ain't no way um, I think one of my main takeaways has just been I think that Book and Chris have both figured out the steadiness of their games, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that is I don't think Book played that well last night. He had some really bad live ball turnovers. The defense was was good, but they were still not still. There were the brain fart moments that plagued him earlier in his career that were there again. And like shot selection was was okay, but he scored 23 points on 7 of 17 and in little pockets of the game was figuring out how to score. Chris is having these games when he's just only scoring in the fourth quarter sometimes. I think 19 of his 21 points were in the fourth quarter in the Memphis win. There was one of those wins. But they are figuring out at least how to impact the game consistently, I guess, is the right way I would phrase it, especially defensively and especially for Chris, who is playing on defense like he heard someone talking about his defense on a podcast a couple weeks ago like he has just been an absolute demon on that end it's just if the ball is around him I feel like he's going to get his hand on it and probably wind up with it when that guy I I think it was Kata Bates job posted him up last night I was like oh no don't do don't do that Kata Bates job (laughs) and then he lost the ball and Chris threw it off of him and won the possession I'm not going to take it back completely. I will own it. But he is... It's funny because it's not like he's just this amazing on-ball bother-you defender like Mikel still. And he's doing fine. I'm not saying he's been bad at all lately. But it's just literally like, I'm just going to take it from you now. Yeah. And punch the ball out from your dribble or your hands or your shot that's going up. I took the video of him. He didn't even get the ball, but the... I loved uh, that one. Was great when he was like moving his hands back and forth because he kept getting hands on the ball in Houston. But in Minnesota, when Cat had it for like a dribble handoff, and he like jumped it, jumped to try and swipe it out of the top over his head, and then when the ball came down again, he stripped at it as he was coming around to to play normal defense. It was just like I'm here for 1.5 seconds, and I'm going to swipe at it twice. Mm-hmm. It's just been a menace. I don't think he listened, by the way. Just to be 100 percent clear, of course not, but. I think it's hilarious. Something, yeah, something is going on with him in a like really good way where he's just like so. I don't know if it's enjoying it or feeling so good, where you can just see like he's in effing with you mode, where he's just putting it between his legs, faking you out. And it's stuff that, like, I think Steph Curry's the guy who only that's he's he's always in that mode where he just wants to completely embarrass you and not many people can do that like Kyrie and maybe Harden you could say do that but like Chris Paul has like intentions doing that not Megan Garuba oh my gosh the best line was like Eddie Johnson 
saying like he just came off the bench he didn't do anything to you (laughs) um but yeah i mean he's just in this mode right now where he's chilling playing really well not feeling like he has to do too much until like we talked about they're just flipping that switch and him and book like to your point book the same way in the minnesota game Anthony Edwards looked like he was playing good defense and you see his size and you're like, oh, there's going to be, I think he has hope to be a good defender if he's not already. And Book would just like wave everyone past and just like he's playing one-on-one after practice that you've seen a million times, I'm sure. So yeah, they're they're in a groove. Um, To your question though, way back when about just most recently in the stretch, I think obviously DA has come back and played really well. He's seeing things and campaign is a guy that I think we should talk more about his defense because when he's just kind of being annoying, then that group is more engaged and they're just running. And he's obviously been really aggressive looking at the hoop lately. Let's circle back on those two. Yeah. Dem Booker is shooting 38.5% from three. That would be a career high. Kevin, his field goal percentage is only 43.7%. Let me read three numbers off to you, sir. 53.6, 54.9, 54.3. Those are the last three seasons for Devin Booker shooting from two on two-pointers. He is down to 46.3% this year on pretty much the identical amount of attempts. 13.1, 12.6, 13.7, and then 12.6. He's at 22.4 points per game, which would be the lowest for him since his second season. There is like three levels of his scoring that is still yet to come, and we are going to get it eventually. I think it is extremely telling. I looked up the minutes 15 games through last year compared to this year. Book was nearly at 36 minutes a game last year. He's at uh, 30. Let me see. I have it right here in front of me. 32.6 right now, and he was just at 31 a couple games ago. I think that I I just think back to when I asked him, kind of caught him off guard because I asked him a two second question. I was like, "How'd you feel physically when you got back from Tokyo?" And then he paused for three seconds and then laughed and then was like, "Felt fine, a little sore, but and it's like, oh, little little sore." And I think that there's a lot of. Wear and tear is a heavy, heavy phrase. I'm not going to go that far, but I think that he, he rightfully so, like anyone else, got really worn down by that long stretch of basketball. There's a team called the Milwaukee Bucks right now who had two of the guys who sh- shared his longest season of the year, and they're still picking it up right now. The Bucks are as a team, and Middleton and Holiday as well are still both kind of finding themselves, and that team as a whole is finding themselves. Didn't help for Middleton, I believe, who got COVID right, uh, yeah. of the two, and, and that obviously didn't help him, but so did Devin Booker. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a difficult stretch for him in terms of like just physically getting back up. And then right when he's like trying to get himself back up, he gets sick. I'm just kind of saying this as a, they're 14 and three and, and, and you and I share the opinion that he was their best player last year. He's been their second best player this year. I still think, but he could still go another three levels higher. And that is like a very exciting proposition considering where they're at as a team. I think we had this conversation last year where you were just like, he got a really slow start and maybe it wasn't until January. And I know this calendar is different, but he, you were like, Oh, he's going to hit his stride. He does this every year. So it's, it's partially that, but also like, I don't know if I'm sorry if I don't read your stuff or something and you guys have asked him, but like, did you do anything basketball wise after the Olympics? Like, I, I think it's legitimately fair for him to take the entire summer off, sit on his couch, and then you get COVID and you just say, get in shape during the season because this is a long thing if we're going to try to make a run in the playoffs again. So I'm, I'm not concerned because I've already seen like from the first week of play to now, it's he, he looks a lot better. It's the same theme of our conversation like a week or two into the season where here are all the concerns. We are not concerned. Yeah. At all. Points per game by month. October, 21.6 is for Devin Booker. 20.2 in November. 19.7 in December. This is over his career. January, 24.4. Oh. February, 22.8. 
March 26.6. Oh, yeah. He gets better. He does as the, as the year goes on. I was surprised to see December being the lowest because I thought it would kind of start in December. I think it'll start in December this year. I think I think he'll average like twenty eight or twenty nine a game next month. That is my bold proclamation. I, I brought up his shooting percentages, Kevin, because looking at this team, they're shooting forty seven point six percent from the field. Looking at cleaning the glasses numbers, just in terms of overall. Uh, effective field goal percentage they are fifth in the league which is surprising to me because if you look at the guys who are attempting the most shots on their team books at 43.7 then uh, obviously deandre at 63 chris paul's at 47 which is a good number but below what he usually is at he's usually at 50 uh, a game and by the way something i looked at while we were talking about chris i should mention before we move off him 13.9 points per game would be the lowest for him of his career well, I do not think that is going to happen. What is the inverse? 10.3 assists per game are the highest for him since 10.7 in 2014. That is also when he averaged 2.5 steals per game, which is the most steals he's averaged since this year, which is a 2.2. Huh. He's picking it up in other areas, but the numbers are still a bit lower. The big one in the drop-off for the scoring, I think, has been three-point shooting. He's at 31.4% this year. He was at 39.5, Like He's been a good three-point shooter for a long time now, and it's not quite there yet, and it's going to come eventually. He's at 47. Uh, Mikel Bridge is 54.2. Oh. Just going to keep happening, I guess. Okay. But here's where it goes, Kev. Campaign, 39%. Jay Crowder, 38%. Cam Johnson, 39%. Frank Kaminsky was at 55%. McGee at 68%. Landry Shamit, 38%. Abdul Nader, 34%. Alfred Payton, 53%. Their bench has just been not efficient shooting the ball. Eye test-wise, Kevin, I think they're getting good looks for the most part in the past couple of weeks. Um, So I, I wanted to start on the bench before we get to DeAndre. Yeah. Back-to-back games, they have scored 48 points combined for the foursome of Campaign, Cam Johnson, Landry Shamit, and JaVale McGee. Those are the Champagne minutes, as they are known now, because Landry Shamit, Campaign, you combine those last names together, Champagne, a.k.a. The Drink, beautiful, wouldn't change a thing. They both <laughs> tweeted it and endorsed it. I think Landry Shamit tweeted last night, like, Pinky's up or something for, the, for that, which is just delightful. They need t-shirts immediately with them holding champagne bottles with their glasses or their pinkies up glasses. Where did glasses come from? Um, They're figuring it out right now, I think. Yeah. But I also think it's a bit of course correction where shots are starting to fall a whole lot more than they were before. But it's, it's, I don't know where, where, where is it at for you? Do you think that they're, this is them snapping into place just like a really good two games for them. I think it's a mix of, I think it's the I don't know if it's snapping into place necessarily but the guys who are you want taking shots are starting to take them Um, and a lot of that was the Peyton McGee was just so in your face aggressive with how heavily they were dominating possessions Um, I think campaign and Shamit are the interesting part because you in a perfect world you want them to operate kind of like book and cp where they're all right you take it up one turn or i'll come off the screen this time and and just kind of find a good balance between them and that's obviously we talked about how hard it was for devin booker and ricky rubio to do it devin booker and chris paul to do it in their first year so i'm curious to see how a bench unit obviously with a lot fewer minutes not as many crunch time minutes obviously how they kind of figure out um, the right operating temperature or puzzle or whatever metaphor you want. But I, again, like you said, I think the shots have been good lately. Like Cam Johnson, too, has kind of pulled off from the doing too much off the dribble and just like, shoot it, bud. You're good at that. That's fine. That's a lot of points. Three is more than two, that type of thing. Um, yeah. So there are times where you'll look at stats for other teams and you'll see some numbers and be like, what? You cannot look at that stat and say, oh, that means something bad is going on or something good is going on. It means 
There is something afoot. Something is off. Uh, the worst on-off court, if you're looking at on-off court net ratings, the number one off-court rating in terms of the team is at its best when this guy's sitting uh, is DeAndre. I think that that's pretty self-explanatory. He was not himself for the first couple of games. He's come back and been excellent since. We'll get to him in a bit. Like I said, third on that list, Kevin, is Chris Paul. 9.8 net rating when he is off the floor. That makes absolutely no sense. It is not logical, but if you look at it from like the grand scheme of things and just look across different lineups, and especially I think looking at lineups where he's out there and he's playing with the second unit, those lineups really haven't meshed all that well. By the, by the way, the starting five is still minus 30 in 225 minutes. DeAndre is coming back into his own now, but that group of five has figured it out when it comes to clutch time, but they've needed that clutch time because they aren't really doing it in those other minutes yet. One of their biggest weapons last year, and I've mentioned this a lot, is when Chris comes back in for a second shift of a half and just lights up second units. That hasn't really happened either. And to go to the bench again, I think that's part of it as well. And something I I don't think we mentioned yet either that's the obvious part about the bench is that DeAndre missing time, JaVale moves up to the starting lineup, Frank comes in, and then Cam misses time. That means Alfred Payton is in, and they were doing a lot of that stuff for a bit where they couldn't find their groove together. Uh the person that they miss the the most when they're off the court, Mikel Bridges, minus 3.1 net rating when he is off the floor, and then Devin Booker is in second. That's usually where you'd see Chris Paul next, uh, but he's not right now. And I think that, to me, that p- points towards the bench, bench more than anything because Paul down there is sandwiched by Landry Shaman and Cam Johnson, hmm. which doesn't make sense because Landry Shaman, I test, I think he's been pretty good. Cam yeah. Johnson has struggled, but I think that his impact on games has been consistent. So, again, numbers that do not tell you the entire story, but tell you that something is off, and it just speaks to our eye test. It's it's confirming our eye test to me where it's telling us they're off still. Yeah. The last few games also might be putting that further into the hole as far as his off-court plus-minus just because I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm assuming campaign's numbers are really good. And I know he shared a few minutes with Chris the other night, but... 11.7 net rating, that's uh, number two behind JaVale McGee. Yeah, so he's just... I don't know what it is. It's that pace thing again where it just feels like it's a different team, and I think that's a good thing for that second unit to have. And he's, like again, recently just really been good at getting to the rim... And I know everyone was like, you need to get a float or whatever, but it's like, no, what was working for you last year made me just go get more fouls, and that's helped a lot too. Um, put pressure on the rim. Um, I don't know what it is about the Chris thing, though. Like, Again, he's looked like he's playing really well. Um, I think he is playing really well. Yeah. I think it just shows that he's playing really well, and it's not... Um, it's not directly benefiting like the plus minus numbers when he's on the court. And that means that there's some course correction coming. Yeah. And they've won 13 straight games. So yeah. what's it going to look like when panic that... and bench Chris Paul is what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm saying <laughs> they might win a lot more games in a row if that starts to happen right now. Yeah. The other thing we didn't mention because this was kind of like a week and a half ago, a week ago when it was the big story, they are plus 34 in their 23 clutch minutes this year. They are 7-1 in games with clutch minutes. That included last night just because like, it got weird at the end and they held on. So that's kind of a wonky one. They are shooting 24 of 37 as a team in those 23 minutes. That is 65%. I think Book is like 8 of 11 in, in those stretches or something, or 9 of 12, something uh, dumb like that. Uh, we can hit on DeAndre now. The reason I saved him for the end is I think it's just the same conversation we've had a million times. But Probably. are you seeing anything particularly different? Everyone was quite enamored by the fake dribble handoff last night, but we've <laughs> seen him do that a couple of times. It came with really good quotes. Uh, I think that the short roll thing is a lot more interesting, and that's come in the last couple of games. If you check the recap for the Nuggets win, I started the recap essentially by going over this is a short roll. Draymond and Steph, you've seen it a million times if you didn't realize it was there before, and this is why it works. And putting DeAndre in that spot is a really good part of the offense if he can consistently doing it. You talk about post him up more, give him the ball more, get him more involved in the offense. I think that's another way of doing it, and they are doing it. 
Yeah. I mean, I like how involved he's been. And like I talked about with Cam Johnson, like, okay, we got over. You don't need to shoot a bunch of threes. I, I do enjoy, like, it, give him a post-touch. And worst case, if it's the end of a shot clock, he's very he's been pretty good at the turnarounds with the dude on his back um, if you need him to do that. But there are other ways to get him involved. And I think the big thing for me when you see his development is – I think just last night, just because it's most recent again, he is seeing things slow down, and that's on defense, that's rotations. He got into a passing lane, got a fast break going. Um, He made a tough catch and just collapsed the defense completely, and I think he saw the guy in the right corner. Was it Mikel or Jay? It was Jay. Jay. And he knew he was there, but like he just spun and flung this pass right on the uh, right on a line shooter's pocket was a three and just a little stuff like that where he's not thinking so much and you can see that like the basketball iq stuff is there and the speed is helping him get those plays done now and um yeah i, I think that's as simple as i can make it is he again doesn't need to do anything crazy and they don't need to overcomplicate this he's gonna make big plays when it matters and you're gonna play him in crunch minutes and they're gonna be fun to your point there is a level that he has reached uh especially in the last especially last year we saw it where the thing that you and i talked about and this goes back to the million conversations thing just energy just up and down seal dive run the floor be in the right spot defensively but that last part that has to do with like floor sense and i think the way i phrased it last night was it's energy and floor sense it's those two things where energy wise he's just going to impact the game in a positive way every single night that's what we were looking for in the first two years basically was impact the game positively every single night we are seeing that now though because i think his floor sense is at a point especially defensively where it's like even if his energy is at 80%, he is going to be a good defender in the game. And if it's at 100, he's going to be dominant defensively. And we saw that in the Spurs game for the middle quarters, essentially, where he was really good. And then even in the first quarter when it was like a sluggish start, he had a, like a tip in and then uh, I yeah. think like two scores in the post where it was like that really, I don't want to say saved them, but they were looking at like a double-digit deficit probably if he didn't do that. And, and then the bench was yeah, coming in and their like, bench has been bad this year. So it's like, okay, does the game really spiral from here so I can give it back-to-back? But like, no, DeAndre has like his own 6-2 run, whatever it was. And, and kind of lifts them up a little bit. Bench comes in, kills it. He comes back in, kills it even more, and and was just really tremendous. I, I think the short roll part is where I go to the floor sense part again, where he had the, the one that you're talking about, that one was against Denver, where he just took a dribble immediately. I don't even think he looked to his left to see if Jay was in the left corner. He just threw it there. He knew that Jay was going to be there already, and that's like, okay, I'm going to set this screen for Chris. I know Jay is in the left corner. If I get the ball here and the low man is up here and they're not rotating over there, that's just reps and getting better and a young player starting to like figure things out more and more. And I think that that part of just his basketball IQ, and not to say that he didn't play as a smart player before, but because he did, but I think it's a, that's a large part of why when Alex Lynn was happening and Earl Watson was telling us, just centers take a long time. They just take a really long time sometimes. That's probably what comes up the most because I think them seeing the floor and figuring out their pockets, as they're called, on both ends of the floor, it's harder for their position than any other position, I think. And also, like, you just don't have to deal with that as a young center. You just are taller than everyone, and you get 20 points and 10 rebounds. And then when you get to the NBA, it's finally like, oh, everyone's as tall as me. I think that's kind of why they talk about bigs like that. Um, Like you said, like DA was always like a pretty good passer. He'd get a post touch and see a guy coming at him. But now he's seeing three guys coming at him and he knows where the open guy is without looking. So I I just think that's kind of where this is going for him. And it's just going to serve him well, I think. Indeed. Uh, man, uh, Max put it on Twitter. Like when DeAndre is their best player, they are a really, 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 really good team. And yeah. uh, that was on a night when Chris and Devin weren't even playing that well. But if those, if one of those two guys is playing well, and then DeAndre is their best guy, they are 
practically unbeatable if the shots are falling because if one of the other two guys is going that means that the offense is flowing and guys are getting open shots and those guys are shooters and that's kind of why I tweeted when he plays the way that he did in the playoffs in terms of outworking every single other person on the court by a sizable margin their offense is pretty much unstoppable what are you looking for from the next five to six games in the category of what our entire conversations have kind of been about the last couple of weeks which has been they're not quite themselves and they've we've still got a couple more things to see to set up to throw the alley-oop pass before i go field goal percentages in the last five games i'm just going to go off perimeter players numero uno cam johnson 48.8 percent shooting 43 percent from three he's starting to he hasn't started to he is out of his funk now it's just a matter of how long it lasts after this after that mikhail bridges 47.4 den booker 45.3 Chris Paul, 41, Shama, 38, Campaign, 34. I think the answer for me is like the last half group there, especially Paul, Shaman, and Payne. Those are three of your four primary ball handlers, essentially, not really shooting the ball that well. And I'm looking at like they're just efficiency shooting the ball specifically because I think the defense is just at a really good point right now. Uh, it might have been my answer at the end of the last podcast, but just I think Shamit finding where he can impact the game like obviously he's hit transition buckets they're running him off a few things um but just if there's anything more because we talked about there is something to his game um where they can work more wrinkles in for him um and i don't really know what that would be because i i still feel like i'm learning him but that might be like because the team is still learning him for his career, he's shooting 46% on twos. He's at 37 right now. Similar thing with Book, where yeah. the two should start to fall more because he's shooting 38.9% from three, but he's shooting 38.4% from and the field. That is, is a low. thing. He Earlier in the season, he was doing more like, oh, he like pump faked, took a dribble, and took a shot, and it just wasn't dropping. And now, I don't know if it was just that happened too much or what, but I think there's more to him still. Indeed, but I think we are at the point now where him as a shooter, at least, he is instilled in the offense and they know how to find him. It's just a matter of his shots going in, which they have been for the most part. Yeah, They know that, hey, campaign, if you're kicking, I don't know if he like meant to or if like the passing lane wasn't quite there, but I posted a video of like Landry taking a side hop to his right into the pass and shooting in one motion. And then the ones where it's like, hey, he's moving at full speed to his right, fine, throw it to him, he'll catch it, spin, shoot in one motion. He can do that stuff unlike anyone else on the roster. Mm-hmm. And I think they're starting to figure out those spots now. And now what's to come for you, uh, to your point, and to something that I wrote about and what Monty said is, this guy's had handcuffs on him in his entire career. He was a point guard at Wichita State, and he's only been a shooter in the league. There is this wrinkle to him being a ball handler that we actually saw in the preseason that we haven't seen just yet this year. I think that comes down to the champagne minutes starting to flow a little bit more. Camp Once campaign gets that going, that's where Shamit gets going because I asked um, what I wrote about for a notebook a couple days ago were the minutes where it's those four guys and Booker. I think that that can be their version of Paul and Sarge minutes that dominated last year. And specifically what Monty brought up that kind of inspired part of what I wrote about is that Shamit is pretty much their Dario this year, an extra playmaker off the bench because they don't have Dario and Frank can do that sometimes, but now he's out. Um, but the first thing campaign mentioned when I brought up that lineup, he's like, I get to play off the ball yeah, because I don't have to do absolutely everything yeah. on the ball. I've got two other ball handlers with me. And to that point when Booker sits or Paul sits, which again, I think the stagger is going to be back eventually. I just don't know when. If Sham is handling the ball more, that means Cam's off the ball more, and he seems to enjoy that. He's a really, really good shooter. We probably undersell constantly how good of a shooter he's been, and I think that's another step for them, too, in in that regard. I think we should mention before we go, JaVale's been really good, right? Yeah. It's just been... It, it was kind of shaky in the first couple of games where we were like, oh, man, and then some people were already calling for Frank to start playing over him. And no, nah, man, it's just been not only is it the positive impacts, but it's like the JaVale isms uh, happening on the court. <laughs> they happen, but there's only one or two of them now because for some games there were like five or six of them. It felt like it felt like it was every possession where something crazy was happening. The sky hooks are going down, too. You love to see it. <laughs> I mean, the the interesting part is just how much it shocks teams. Um, like not saying DA is not rolling hard and stuff but 
JaVale is just a different animal when it comes to just throw it up there and he's he's gonna get the ball and I don't I don't know why teams don't defend it there's probably a better answer than he's just different than other guys but that's what I'll go with right now so yeah I mean it's it's an impact like skill that he brings and especially when you put it against second units it's a problem because that's I think I already asked this but how many other teams have two bigs like that and one off the bench who's going to be that maybe Philly I don't know remember when I was freaking out about his field goal attempts because yeah. he was like second or third on the team. He's well, he's eighth now in field goal attempts yeah. per game. Small and, sample size, but it was true for, yeah. And to your point, I think that when they were, they were forcing it to him earlier and it wasn't through the offense, but the Spurs game is one where it's like every shot he's getting is a dunk off of good ball movement or campaign just blowing by everyone and throwing a lob to him. And it's like seven of nine in San Antonio, five of seven against Denver, seven of 10 against Dallas. He had nine of 12 game against Houston, if he is getting at least, I'll say this, if he's getting like five or six field goals in a, in a game, I'm going to be interested to see if we look at it 20, 30 games from now, their record in those games. Because I feel like if he's getting buckets, that means that the offense is moving well and with the way the defense has been playing, that's, I think, going to be a pretty good indicator of them winning, a la Bridges getting like 15 or more points last year. I think if JaVale's in double figures, I, I would be... It's a dumb stat to look at right now because they've lost three freaking games, Kevin. <laughs> so, like, yeah. of course, they're going to be like seven and one at whatever I look at right now. But in 30 games, I think it's going to be, yeah, they only have two or three losses when JaVale's in double figures. Good thought. Good thought. Didn't that Sexton news suck about the Cavs? Mm-hmm. Don't you hate that? I I cannot stand that one where like 10 or 15 games in the year and there's like a fun really new team. fun new young team and then they have an injury like that. But that Ricky Rubio, Kev, he's going to keep them afloat. He might. Mobley's also hurt. Turns out you shouldn't judge one year for someone on the Minnesota Timberwolves, Kevin, and you should give them another year or another destination before you entirely rule them out and declare them as washed and just as unusable in the league. Because Ricky Rubio is averaging 15 points per game and six assists per game in 30 minutes a game right now. Shooting as usual, terrible, 38, 39% from field goal. But you, you retweeted the tweet where it's like, here are the on-off court numbers for Ricky Rubio in his <laughs> career. And they're awesome. Yeah. Because he's just a really, really good basketball player. Uh, they had to trade him to get Chris Paul. Stand up, Evan Mobley Hive. Are they going to lose any of these three games, Kevin? They play in Cleveland on I, Wednesday. Yeah. They play a back to back in against New York Knicks. Kind of shaky New York Knicks. And then the Brooklyn Nets, who are not really figuring things out, but Kevin Durant might be the best basketball player in the world. I'm like 15 games away from handing it over finally from LeBron for me after saying that for like, I think he's been the best basketball player in the world for like 12 years now or whatever, straight. And he probably, ha- honestly, last two years probably hasn't been the case. But I'm after you do it for a decade straight, Kevin, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But we're like 10 games away from me just saying Kevin Durant's the best basketball player in the world. I saw Cleveland lost as a possibility. But I don't even know, is Mobley going to be back? So, eh. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the injury stats on everyone. Harden was kind of sort of figuring out. And then I watched the game after I heard he was kind of sort of figuring it out. And I was like, nah, dude, he's still a mess. Yeah. I could see a loss upcoming, but like they could have lost to the Spurs. It's going to happen. Durant's averaging 29-8-5 and and shooting 56% from the field. Uh, You know those Achilles injuries, man. They end your career. You know what's not a good sense, Kevin? LaMarcus Aldridge is your third leading scorer. That's not a good sense. You it's not like just it. the scoring either. It's like the, the wind shares everything. Everything is off. Good for that. him, though. I'm glad he's playing basketball. But they're 13 and 5 because they have a man shooting 56% from the yeah. field, averaging 29 points per game, 8 rebounds, and 5 assists. He's, he's not bad. What was your call? You, you think the Cleveland game may be trouble, but you think they might get through it? Yeah. I'm going to be the predictable bummer and just obvious nice. person, say the Brooklyn game. Yeah. Because the, the Knicks play hard. The Knicks play hard and tough, and that's. Getting that before Brooklyn is really tough. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not going to... Yeah, and they're going to... The thing is that's funny about this team is when you play hard and tough against them and piss them off like the Knicks did last year, they remember and they hold grudges. I enjoy watching that type of basketball. 
I think we're going to pencil in Monday for our podcast anyway, but just in case, and I just want to set the table here, if they clear this road trip and they're at 16 straight wins, they are one win away from tying the franchise record. As I mentioned earlier, if you were paying attention, next game is against the Warriors at home, who are at the top of the league right now. Wow. Best record in the league. So they could. So that would tie the record? And then they would just have to take care of business against the Detroit Fighting Pistons. Oh. The, the kerfuffle in Pistons. Not a real fight. Stop calling it a fight. They Gilbert, didn't fight. Gilbert Arenas' Instagram post to Isaiah Stewart. Just look it up. It's. I understand it's why hard. Isaiah Stewart got two games and he should have gotten two games, but I don't know, dude. When someone hits you in the face and you see your own blood, I don't... I think everything literally is red and you're just... I don't blame him at all. Did you see the Corey Joseph element of that? No. So Corey Joseph... I saw him being upset about something. That's all. So Corey Joseph, while Isaiah Stewart was finally being escorted to the locker room, went over to Scott Foster and said, hey, (laughs) I'm on the bench right now. I'm not leaving the bench, but I'm going to leave the bench because I'm going to go to their bench in case he runs all the way around the arena and re-enters and tries to go at the Lakers bench from there. I'm going to be waiting there. And we saw Isaiah Stewart sprint (laughs) through the tunnel. So Corey Joseph was onto it. Good veteran presence, Corey Joseph. Had a boy. I believe... That brought me back to the whole um, Booker Gorgie Jang kerfuffle a few years ago when they said meet in the back, meet in the back, and they said thumbs up, good. They both ran through opposite tunnels, and I'm gonna say I was working that game, and I'm pretty sure I heard that the security people were like told, "Hey, you need to lock the doors in the tunnel that goes around in a circle," which is hilarious. Drew the picture, remember? Yes, she was like, "For those of you, okay, I'll give an accurate." artist representation of what she might have done the work on that actually so i should give her credit always give her. there were people asking security guards hey what did you do and they're like we locked the door can josh allen figure it out for her and have her cover a super bowl contender please what's going on over there my goodness me can't lose to the jags tweet at me if you knew Corey joseph was on the detroit pistons or if i just informed you of this I, I actually know. did learn that. In that. I, I didn't. I learned see it like video, a week ago. But I didn't yeah. know until the start of. I didn't know at the start of the season. I sure didn't. I know saw that. some weird video about him. But thanks for explaining. So yeah, I mean, if they get through this three-game gauntlet, then beat the, the Warriors, just beat the Pistons, and then you've got eighteen in a row franchise record. Pretty sweet stuff. It's good to win basketball games, Kevin. Never a bad thing. On this Thanksgiving, give thanks that you watch a basketball team. I'm assuming if you listen to this podcast, you watch this basketball team. If you don't, thanks for listening, I guess. But give thanks to wow. this. Who is that weirdo? I, another person tweet at me if you don't watch basketball, but you've listened to this point. Holy smokes. <laughs> I'm thankful for Colt McCoy, Kev. That's who I'm thankful for. I didn't yeah. even watch the game, but it sounded because I was doing the Nuggets game, but it sounded like he was just incredible. Might not be able to throw it down the field, but a true game manager. Cliff Kingsbury might be good at his job, Kevin, and I don't know how to handle it. Turns out, give someone talent. What happens first? The Suns lose five games or the Coyotes win five games? Oh. Goodbye, everyone.